Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill building courses for you to choose from because the steps that you choose to take today will help you to love what you do in the future. And that's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking about Buffettisms, lessons from the goat investor. By the way, GOAT, as in the greatest of all time, we're not talking about how to make money by investing in livestock. <laughs> it also makes me think That's of... That's uh, tomorrow's podcast. The uh, the Men Who Stare at Goats. Did you ever watch that? Who, who was I don't think I did, but that was Jeff like, Bridges, George Clooney. It was a, George Clooney. I remember it was an all-star cast. It was like I a, an odd, one of those odd movies. It kind of reminded me. In my mind, it's very similar to Oh Brother. It's just kind of like this odd, kind of quirky film. Uh-huh. Was that Coen Brothers? That, that was Coen Brothers, yeah. Right. I do love the Coen Brothers. They are a good duo, but we are talking about investing. We're talking about what it is that you should be investing in, maybe how long you should be holding your investments, and generally speaking, just how it is that you should approach investing your money. And so if, if this is something that you're looking to brush up on, if this is something that you're wanting to learn more about, well, we think that virtually everything you need to know about investing your money, you can learn from the man himself, Warren Buffett. Yeah, he's been doing it for a long time. And it's really tough to call someone the goat if they've been in like a league for a few years or something like that. But Buffett's 92, right? Like he's he's seen it, done it's it. Basically 100. And I think he's... <laughs> for a century. Yeah. We've, he's been doing this. And his like uh, prowess has been proved out over the decades. So we're going to kind of run through some Buffett quotes and some Buffett history to kind of talk about, to extrapolate some ideas for how, mm-hmm. how we can be better investors and just kind of better with our money. Totally. Yeah. Specifically, we've got a lot of Warren Buffett quotes yeah. for y'all today. <laughs> but first, dude, really quick, we need to make sure that we thank a listener. Uh, so this is Joshua Jones and... And he did us... I call him a, JJ, personally. <laughs> JJ. Uh, he did us a massive favor. So sometime last fall, 
we mentioned how, oh, it'd be so great if we had a spreadsheet uh, of all the different beers that we've had on the show. And obviously, we enjoy craft beer on the show to, sh- to demonstrate that we can be smart with our money now, uh, investing it for the future while simultaneously enjoying some of it uh, in the in the present, yeah. right? And Joshua emailed us and he said, hey guys, I'd be more than happy to kind of work on that when I have some free time. And of course, we said, uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be fantastic. And so he worked on it, though, over Christmas, like over the holiday break. And he sent it over our way and it totally got lost in the email. I remember seeing it and realizing that he had did an incredible workforce, but we never gave him a, a shout out. We never thanked him here on the show. So A, Joshua, we wanted to publicly thank you. But B, we want to share that link with everyone out there who might be interested in knowing um, virtually all the different beers that we've had on the show over the past five years. They're not necessarily like ranked or anything, star ratings by by us, but you can see them all in order by episode or you can... He did include a... uh, Style type too, Yeah, he included the... He's like, like, how about I include the ABV as well as the the style of beer in addition to the brewery, what episode it was on. It's a a sweet little database, but... I'm not sure how many of our listeners are trying to like drink every beer we've (laughs) ever had, but that is now a lot more uh, possible for you to to do by looking at this and seeing what your local bottle shop has. We'll, we'll link to yeah yes, this we will this uh, spreadsheet in the show notes on it's how like, to how to money. It's, com. It's a Google sheet. Yeah, so a Google sheet. Yeah, which is yeah, it's up there for everyone. And honestly, so because it, it kind of fell off our radar, it means that we're actually kind of behind. So I want to do my best <laughs> to get on there and start updating it as well. But that being said, it, I want this to kind of be a collaborative thing. And so if you see um, room for improvement, or maybe you've seen that there is an episode or two that hasn't been updated, feel free to hop in there and update that information. For sure. But, Spe- uh, speaking of which, yeah, let's mention the beer we're having on today's show yes, for episode 641. This is Blender Black Raz. And it's by New Park Brewing. And this one comes to us uh, from listener Matthew. Matthew, thanks. You sent some great beers. I'm looking forward to drinking this Berliner Weiss uh, today on the show, Matt. Absolutely. Yeah. But let's get to the topic at hand. Buffettisms. We're talking about lessons from the goat investor. And and I, I mentioned earlier, yeah, you don't call someone the greatest in a sport if they've been playing for a couple of years, right? You might say, they've got potential or they could be the next MJ. I mean, that's always, that's always what happens in with like a, a new basketball player or something like that. Or Michael, or, J- Michael Jackson? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, no. <laughs> no, Michael Jordan. Uh, there's <laughs> Jordan, baby. It's like he's got the wingspan and the height. And I don't know, can he dunk in the same way? We'll see. But like uh, th- those debates are just never ending about who's the greatest. Like LeBron or MJ, or should we throw Steph Curry in there? Kobe, obviously, just like a once in a, in a generation talent. But then you're talking about like, well, what about what if we're including centers, the dominant guys like Hakeem Olajuwon or whatever? I will stop there because this is not a sports show. <laughs> but these are the kind of things that like sports talk shows can talk about incessantly. And I used to listen to sports talk until I realized, wait a second, this is so formulaic, and I I can't stand to listen to another second. I haven't listened to sports talk radio in forever now, but. I mean, you could do the same thing and have just prolonged conversations about who the greatest is in any sphere. Like you talk about who's the greatest musician. Is it MJ, Michael Jackson, or is it Beyonce, <laughs> or is it Bonnie Vare? I mean, it just like depends on... I thought you were going to say Bon Jovi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some might say. I prefer Bonnie Vare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like, again, so much of that is in the, the eye of the beholder. But yeah, we, we all, I think, have this desire to see what sets the greatest people in their given field apart from the ones who are just really good 
And the the greatest investor conversation, I would say it's not nearly as fraught as maybe some of those other ones. It, it certainly feels like Warren Buffett is the goat in our eyes, right? He is the greatest of all time. And we're certainly not alone in that assumption. And it's not just because of the returns he's been able to gain and, and garner over the years. His longevity, his consistency, and his humility, we would say, are admirable. And so, yeah, today we're going to talk about the goat, what we can learn from him. And we're going to talk about where he falls short, too, because we are... Uh, Warren Buffett fans, but he's also not perfect. Yeah, we're not going to worship him, uh, but we are devoting an entire episode to you know what we can learn from a, a 92-year-old investor, and partly because he's the antithesis of a flashy investor. And so investing fads have come and gone, right? But Warren Buffett has remained consistently relevant over the decades. Like, I don't think anyone has ever used the word sexy <laughs> to describe anything that, that Warren Buffett does. And so much attention has been given to the sexy investments, right? Like the new and improved ways of investing in recent years. We only need to look back to the explosion of cryptocurrencies to meme stocks just a couple of years ago. And the reason for this, the reason those investments got all the attention is because I think it's human nature to want to try and find shortcuts. Folks want to hit the easy button and I get it, right? A lot of folks had a sense of FOMO as speculative investments just shot through the roof. Uh, but Warren Buffett, he did not hit the easy button, and we don't want our listeners out there to think that that is the solution as well. Uh, and by the way, if you're wondering what Buffett's thoughts were on crypto, here's our first quote of the day. Uh, he said that they were basically rat poison squared. <laughs> Wait, was that him or Charlie Munger? I think it was him. Okay. I, I, I thought it was like, Munger. I but... thought Munger uh, called it like the, was it some sort of fox hunt, okay. uh, something like that. Just what stands up my mind. Neither of them like it. Neither of them like and, it. And Munger, by the way, if you don't know, is Warren Buffett's like uh, longtime best friend and fellow co-conspirator when it comes to investing. So they're, they're partners. That's they're right. besties and partners. And and Munger is a little bit older. He's ninety nine. Exactly. But regardless, wanted to mention that because crypto, obviously, that's something that mo most folks should should probably stay away from. Yeah. So yeah, he avoids the speculative crazes, has been able to kind of avoid them consistently over time. And for the most part, that's kind of what you and I suggested too. We we didn't want HTM listeners going all in on the latest cryptocurrency or even on the most tried and true cryptocurrencies, which are still relative newcomers. Mm -hmm. And you know, th the reason I say that is because we, we feel that there's like this behavioral psychological component to investing too, by the way. And it's incredibly difficult to sit on the sidelines while you're seeing folks on social media or even just friends in real life who are making bank while all of your money was invested in the good old boring index funds, it can be tough to sit on your hands and not do anything and just kind of stay the course. And for this reason, we believe that it can make sense for, for some folks who desire to invest in speculative assets, actually, to have some sort of pressure release valve. And we've talked about this over the year. That What that means is that we want you investing no more than 5% of your overall portfolio in individual stocks that you're excited about, or even in different cryptocurrencies. So I think you can have a little bit of exposure if you're curious and if you kind of just want to scratch that itch. Warren Buffett, he would probably shake his head if he if he knew that we suggested that. He would say, no, no, no. Like, he, he would be disappointed. He would say that all <laughs> of your money should be invested in, in tried and true assets that are producing something, right? But yeah, we, we believe it is smart to make some small allowances if 
that means if that allows the vast majority of your investments yes. to be sitting in the tried and true index fund, uh, if that allows you to stay the course kind of with the majority of the money that you're putting into investments. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's just more to successful investing than just doing the right thing. We've got feelings. We've got emotions that unfortunately can get in the way of the most proven ways of investing our money. Uh, but another reason that we're discussing Warren Buffett is because the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting that just happened uh, just over a week ago. Uh, so it felt like a good time to cover some of the wisdom that he doled out in his annual letter and to discuss the the man, the myth, and the legend's brilliance here for a little bit and what it is that we can learn from him. And by the way, I say learn and not emulate for a very specific reason here, right? Just because Buffett is the greatest uh, investor of all time, that doesn't mean that we should necessarily try and take his path. Specifically, it makes me think back when Tim Ferriss, he stepped up to the mic at one of the conferences and he asked Warren Buffett about how it is that an amateur investor should invest a million dollars. And this is how Buffett responded. He'd say, I'd probably have it all in a very low cost index fund. That's my Warren Buffett voice, too, by the way. <laughs> I'd recognize the fact that I'm an amateur investor. Forget it and go back to work. And I think that was from back in 2008. Tim Ferriss asked him that question, but uh, we obviously think that the same advice holds true today. Yeah, and, and that kind of continues to be Buffett's advice for investors who have full-time day jobs, right? He doesn't suggest that people try to replicate what he does, but his suggestion makes sense for people who don't have the time to scour market deals and don't have the capital to really like invest in the way that Buffett does. And this is the same reason, Matt, that you know Warren Buffett has said that when he dies, the fund for his widow will be 90% invested in an S&P 500 index fund, which is pretty much the path that we want most of our listeners to no, take right. as well, right? He he knows that even though he's been able to beat the overall market, there are very few individuals who would be able to do the same thing. And for one, Buffett was incredibly hardworking, right? As a, a 13-year-old, he was earning more than many of his teachers at the time, which, is, which says a lot about his industriousness. He was making around $175 a month, which adjusted for inflation was the equivalent of a $40,000 annual salary today. That's how many insane. How, yeah, how many 13-year-olds <laughs> do you know that are that ambitious and hardworking and that are making that kind of income? Not many, right? But uh, Buffett, he also had a natural gifting as well. He had the uncanny ability to memorize long lists of statistics from baseball cards. And he and his friend would sit down and they would write the numbers from license plates of passing cars just for fun. There's was, there wasn't as much to do back this in the... pre-Nintendo days. <laughs> right, exactly. No Nintendo Switches, none of that stuff. So yeah, he was drawn towards numbers in a way that, that very few individuals can emulate. So I think there are lessons that we can learn, but trying to emulate and do what he's done is is like something different altogether. And that's not what we're suggesting here. Yeah. And, and so much of life circumstances have to do with luck as well. He readily admitted that had he been born in a different country, in a different era, that valued different things like uh, physical strength, <laughs> for instance, that he likely wouldn't have fared nearly as well as he did being born here in the U.S. when he was born. Mm -hmm. uh, Warren Buffett, he called this winning the ovarian lottery that because he happened to possess a unique set of skills that lent themselves to the creation and the acquisition of businesses over the past century here in the U.S., he's been financially rewarded, and he's been re rewarded quite handsomely, I might add. He's something like the fifth richest person in the world with a net worth of around $106 billion. Give or take a bill, depending on what's going on in the market that day, I yes, guess, right? exactly. So, uh, but you're right. I think his, so much of our success 
hard work plays a massive role, but it's like that the final question, right? In how I built this, the guy Raz asks every business person, he says, you know, do you, do you attribute more to luck or to skill? And I think like you can't have one without the other. You, you need both in tandem to achieve greatness or to even do wonderful things. And Warren acknowledges that he realizes that the hard work certainly plays a role, but so does timing too. It makes me think of Bill Gates and how he wouldn't probably have started Microsoft if his high school didn't have access to a supercomputer, one of like four high schools in the country or something like that mm-hmm. at the time. So it's part of it is luck sometimes. And another uh, Warren Buffett quote that fits in here, he said, America would have done fine without Berkshire, which is his company, Berkshire Hathaway, but the reverse is not true. And so he just admits that he's great, greatly benefited from the time and place he was born. And if you're you know, listening to this podcast, there's a really good chance that you've won the ovarian lottery too, right? That, that because of where you live, you have more opportunity than a massive uh, percentage of the people across the globe. Uh, but even still, there's just this like microscopic chance that you've got the skills necessary to make investments like Warren Buffett. Right. And so we probably all need the humility to admit that there's going to be a gap there and none of us are going to be able to uh, achieve kind of what he's been able to achieve the way he's done it. But here's the good news. You don't have to be as smart as him, and you don't have to be as hardworking. You just need to follow some of his advice, some of the principles that he teaches, which is something that virtually anyone can do. And we're going to spend the rest of the episode discussing just that. We'll get to some more Buffettisms and what we can learn from them right after this. I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about getting your books together with uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so Woo-hoo. we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty? When it can be earning extra income on your behalf, it's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty or 
you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. And it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, man, we are back from the break talking about how we can invest our money, how we can grow our net worth, maybe not to like $100 billion status by the time we're 92, but, you know, maybe a little, having a little more in the bank in 20 or 30 years, that'd be nice. And so just before the break, we touched on some of the key differences between Warren Buffett and the other 99.99% of of all investors out there. Uh, But one of the key differences between Buffett and how it is that others invest This is overall approach to investing. He says that he's a business picker, not a stock picker. Uh, So what he means by that is he's not looking to see what's happening with the specific stock price of a specific company over the last 30 days or, or honestly, even over the last couple of years. What he is doing is he's assessing whether or not it makes sense to own a piece of that business based on the fundamentals and how successful that business is likely going to be moving forward, just giving a number of proprietary factors that I'm sure he <laughs> that he keeps stored away in his, in his mind. Uh-huh. But bottom line, like I just don't see Warren Buffett making like a split second decision to buy something, to buy a stock based on a Kramer recommendation on CNBC, <laughs> right? Like uh, Buffett is all about value investing. It's he, he followed in the footsteps of his mentor, Benjamin Graham, but it is about finding value. It's it's the ability to know a deal when you see one, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. Which a, except for a lot of work. On the investment front, right? So it's, it's so much easier to spot 70% off on like one of our favorite items of clothing. It's more difficult to assess a company and say, wait a second, everybody else doesn't see the value here. There's a gem in the making. This company has what they, what they like to call like a moat, right? If, if a company has a moat, it means that it's going to be really hard to compete with that company because they have like special ability to make or create something. And so he's looking for advantages. He's looking for value when it comes to the investments that he's making, not not just the stuff that he's buying. And I think it, it just goes to show how hard it can be though to find those great companies to invest in, which which is why, Matt, you and I, we, we basically opt to invest in basically all of them. Yeah. Uh, be- it's just too hard to pull off the buying great companies approach when this isn't the field you've dedicated your life to, which just 
yeah, it goes back to that Tim Ferriss question and Buffett's answer that we just talked about. And in one of the best Warren Buffett quotes ever, by the way, <laughs> is you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. <laughs> and so this this goes to his thoughts on kind of speculation and kind of how a regular amateur investors should be allocating their investment dollars. And it might look like speculators are getting rich for a minute, right? And that us boring investors are missing out on all the fun. We're sitting on the sidelines while folks out there are making just like bukus of dollars. But that is until market conditions change. And folks who are making errant bets with no real plan, they didn't have an investment plan. They were just kind of like flying by the seat of their pants. Uh, Yosemite salmon it, right? Like pew, pew, pew. Like I'm going to, I'm going to try this and give this a shot. Well, it can be kind of tough to watch uh, other people making lots of money. But the thing is, you, you when the tide changes and when the market conditions change course, well, I feel like we've all just experienced a crash course uh, on the impact of speculation what that it can have on the market and on individual investors. I feel like even some of our listeners have been forthright, Matt. They've reached out to us and they've told us like, hey, I didn't put it all at risk, but I lost more than I would have liked to in crypto. And so I think Warren's take on speculation is something we all kind of need to probably continually re- relearn, but especially in an era like today's. Yeah. And um, honestly, just even aside, in addition to speculation, just investing with uh, single companies, because you just might, you might have a, a terrible quarter or a terrible year, or a terrible couple of years, or there's accounting was cooking the books and all of a sudden you've got a company like Enron that was a legitimate company. It wasn't necessarily speculation. They were producing an actual product, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's Warren Buffett's criticism of crypto is that there's no, there's nothing actually being created. But even still, it can be difficult to know which of these companies to pick. So like you said, what he recommends is that like, yeah, I'm readily admitting that this is all very difficult to do. Instead, basically bet on the American economy. It's a a sure bet. Adidas, right? You never know when those celebrity partnerships are going to blow up and then the, t- the stock's going to tank. Those are the things you can't predict. But let's talk about another way that you should be approaching your investments. And Warren Buffett is all about extending the time frame of his investments. Here's another quote for you. Someone sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. What he's saying here is that by investing now, by taking the long-term approach, you are planting that tree for quote-unquote future you. Uh, And honestly, I think the reason that that so many folks avoid investing, it's not because they don't have maybe a few dollars, you know, that like, it's not that they don't have a few disposable dollars that they could opt to sock away into their 401k or into their Roth IRA. It's that they have a hard time just conceptualizing uh, that proverbial seed turning into a big old shade tree. Uh, And so the more that we can just connect our current actions to the future possibilities, the future reality of what we're going to turn into uh, and what we are going to need our portfolios to turn into in order to be able to, to support us, I think the more likely that you know we're going to be able to make the smarter but often more difficult moves of prioritizing that future shade over the, the current discomforts of taking the steps necessary to make sure that that shade happens. Yeah, and I think you're right, Matt. More people could be investing at least something. It doesn't have to be a ton, right? And we'll, we'll get to that too. But it, it does take starting and it does take regularity to be a great, uh, a great investor. And the Warren Buffett approach takes that longer timeline, right? It takes the understanding that trees don't grow overnight, <laughs> that it's going to take many decades until the, the little bitty sapling you planted turns into something meaningful, a place it will actually provide any semblance of shade and but, but it takes that in addition to patience and something else that something that Warren Buffett's mentor Benjamin Graham Matt said that in the short run the stock market is a voting machine but in the long run 
it is a weighing machine. And Warren's even simpler way of describing that phenomenon is when he says that the stock market is a device to transfer money from the inpatient to the patient. And he just, he lives out this reality. You know, we talked just a few weeks ago on the Friday flight, we talked about how the average investor holds a stock position for like 10 months these days. It used to be five years back in the 1970s, but Buffett's holding period is on average 17 years which is just a major gap. Years, yeah, not <laughs> not months. So he's holding yeah. whatever whatever he buys, whatever his investment is, he's holding it twenty times longer uh, than the average individual. And there's just a that's a big gap. And if we're going to learn one thing from the goat investor, it's to worry less about immediate results and to have a longer timeline uh, when it comes to evaluating our success. Yeah, yeah, and you know the great thing about going that route and, and being more patient when it comes to the results means that you can just worry less about the the short term market moves. You can worry less about that volatility. You can tune out the advice giving stock pickers. You can even avoid looking at your four hundred one k statement most of the time. Um, you can just remain blissfully ignorant, knowing that doing the right thing by buying and holding for the long term, that that's going to pan out decades down the road. You don't need to sweat the small stuff. It makes me think of like our kids. I think oftentimes we can be so concerned about making sure that they're eating right. Like, did they eat their, did they take their vitamin? Uh, oh, they got a cut, making sure that they're healing up fine. We're concerned about our kids' development, essentially, right? And it can be so difficult to see the progress that they are making, that they actually are growing up until you see maybe a friend that, you know, that you haven't seen in a long time. They're like, oh my gosh. And they're not doing it just to be, you know, do the, oh my gosh, your kid's so big thing. Like they truly are amazed at how quickly our, our kids are just sprouting up. Or even when we're fed those like Google memories and the, the pictures oh gosh, from like three yeah. years ago, <laughs> and it's impossible not to think that happened quick. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And so I think on a day-to-day basis, it's hard to see the progress. But when we step out and we take a longer timeline, it's amazing to see the kind of progress that happens just from a human development standpoint with our kids, but but also with like wealth building. Uh, when you look just month to month or week to week, and if we're checking our statements all the time, it can feel a little disappointing because it doesn't feel like the progress yeah. is happening quickly. I, th- I think it can be maddening, yeah. right? Like, what is it? Uh, a watch pot never boils? Yeah. Like, you're you're just like waiting for it to just, like where the compounder turns. I've heard about this, <laughs> right. this, this wonder, eighth wonder of the world or whatever, but there's just some frustration because it's not happening as quickly as you might, th- as you might hope it would. Yeah. Okay, so the lady who wrote his biography her name was Alice Schroeder, and she uh, had this quote in there. It said, it said, life is like a snowball. All you need is wet snow and a really long hill. And that just defines, I think, Buffett's approach to investing and approach to kind of the reality of compounding. And for, for some reason, it made me think of like Forrest Gump, like life is like a box of chocolates. Life is like a snowball. Well, life is like a snowball. <laughs> but like compounding is just I that- wonder if Forrest Gump would be allowed to be released today. Well, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, makes me want to go back and watch it. Yeah, it kinda, it's been so long. Yeah, it's same. Well, I, I mean, it just it helps you realize just that uh, the compounding really comes about by investing regularly, but then also just uh, by your ability to be incredibly patient. And it, it reminds me of a story I saw about a mother, Matt. Like, but she wasn't just a mother; she was a grandmother, and then uh, a great grandmother as well. As it turns out, not only did she have eleven kids of her own, but those kids had fifty-six grandkids. Which, it, first of all, let's just start with 11 kids. On, like, that's just, that's kind of mind-numbing. That's high pollutant <laughs> procreation right there, right? Yeah. That's a lot of kids to have. But, and, and then, like, then 56 grandkids. But then those kids had 
100 great-grandkids, <laughs> which uh, equals his family of 167, not even counting spouses. And That's crazy. I, I think it's physically impossible <laughs> for an individual mother <laughs> to give birth to that many children on her own. But with a little time and patience, you're talking about a lot of people. And so uh, it's just kind of a goofy example. But similarly, like when a snowball starts rolling down a hill, that snow attracts more snow. You've got this like really large snowball over time. And the the same thing happens with our money. It, it feels small. It feels incremental, especially in those first year, the first the first decade. I mean, talk to any investor, and it's that first hundred thousand or whatever. That's the toughest to get to, and then it's amazing. Like a few years later, that money working on your behalf you start it's, gaining speed. Yeah, it's it, the the speed happens. The rapidity of your asset accumulation starts to happen so much more quickly. Yeah, and it's sort sort of like going back to the mother. It's not the number of kids that. Well, in her case, she did have a lot of kids. I guess <laughs> like eleven kids, but she definitely didn't have a hundred and whatever sixty seven. It's not that she had all those kids. It's that her kids and then those kids, uh, that they all had kids, yeah. right? And so it's not necessarily the... It's a amount. very fertile family is yeah. what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about gains upon your gains, right? It's not the fact that you are going to have the ability to earn millions of dollars, but the money that you do earn and the money that you do invest will it's going to work for you. It's You're going to see a return on that money. And then that money is going to combine with the money that you did set aside. And it's all going to build upon itself. And compounding is just one of those things that I think we have a hard time grasping. Yeah. Like we understand incremental growth, but when you start layering and adding things upon other things, that's when it kind of short circuits our brains to a certain extent and things go off the rails. It makes me think about like my first my first real job, I'm pretty sure my salary was like $24,000 a year. Like it was, it was not great. And, but I had, uh, uh, I was putting in 6% of my paycheck and my employer matched 3%. And when you think, I'm, I'm just curious to know those dollars, I, I guess I could go back and do the math, but those dollars, they felt very limited at, but at the time. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing a whole lot, but what it was able to multiply into over the years, just because, uh, by, by dint of when I started by like where the market was basically 18 years ago, like those dollars have probably uh, tripled or quadrupled at, by this point in time, which is, I mean, pretty incredible to think about. Even even starting small, like I think that that gives me hope, right? And, and that should give all investors hope that even just when you begin with very little, it can, it can amount to a whole lot. Totally. For early investors, I think it can be really difficult, but even kind of where we are, we're kind of like more in the middle of our careers. And that's, I, I think this is the period when you do start to see some of that speed increase, like, like you start to see more gains and you do get to witness your money starting to work harder than you would have ever imagined it working yeah. for you. Like, honestly, even just money that I've got set aside in a savings account, A, interest rates are going up. Uh, so it's nice to see a higher return there. But just as you set aside a fat emergency fund to handle, in our case, we like to keep six to nine months worth of living expenses in there every month. It's really cool to see the you know what what it is that we're earning on that money, and that's just on savings. We're not yeah. even talking about <laughs> investing here. Uh, so let's keep talking about some of these different life lessons that you can learn from Warren Buffett. Something else that's cool about Buffett is that you know we kind of talked about his uh, partner in crime, Charlie Munger. Warren, I, th I think he would have been great without Charlie. He was fairly successful before they yeah. met. I he think was off to a solid start before they started so working Munger. together. Like yeah. he, was, he was an attorney, but I, I don't think either one of them would be what they are today if it wasn't for that partnership. And so I think there's a little lesson for us to tease out here because surrounding yourself with brilliant folks and, and honestly, individuals who challenge the way that you think about things, uh, that that can be so incredibly valuable. Warren Buffett, he said at one point that 
we've had nothing but fun together. Uh, and I think the relationship, it's admirable. And I think it's something that we can all learn something from. Um, it just makes me think of the, the power of community as well, Joel. And when you've got individuals who you're, you're doing life with, you've got shared goals. Well, the way that you achieve those goals might differ from person to person. But yeah. when you have similar goals laid out off into the future, uh, I think that can be incredibly helpful when it comes to the ability to keep you accountable. And one of the cool things too about Munger, about Charlie Munger, uh, Warren and Charlie have both said that they're basically each other's alter egos. Yeah. Uh, and so I think what's cool about that is they found in each other complementary skill sets. Uh, and what's cool is that I feel like you and I, I don't know. I was just thinking that. I don't know. I get my monger since I'm, I'm slightly older. I, you are I'm definitely the, <laughs> I'm the, like the older, older grouchier guy uh, with fewer words to share. But I think they recognize that and they were able to lean into that. And in the same way, I think you and I, man, our relationship, I guarantee that I would not be where I am with my financial goals if I, you know, if Kate and I hadn't met you and Emily. And, yeah. you know, I'm thinking maybe you'd say the same thing. Completely. Well, but I completely agree. It's just and even just leaning it, into those complementary skill sets, whether you're looking for like a significant other or in our case, like a business partner, yeah. I think that can be incredibly Well, valuable. we started off as just friends and not business partners. Yeah. And that friendship has led to a lot of great things, including just one of the byproducts really, I think, has been uh, better financial habits, right? As we've kind of like challenged each other in different ways, but then growing the business together, like yeah. the business, like what we're, what we're doing here wouldn't be the same if one of us was trying to go it alone. That's for sure. And so it's yeah, initially just, it was more like small potato personal wins. And yeah. now we've kind of seen that like grow into like something bigger. Yeah, which for sure. Totally fun. I, I mean, I don't know that we'll um, ever be as influential as, as Warren and Charlie, but uh, <laughs> pretty much guarantee that we won't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. Like we get to enjoy what we do and we get to help people every single week, which is something we're passionate about. Totally. And we get to kind of like in, enjoy it and spur each other on at the same time. Uh, something, something else that I love about Warren Buffett, by the way, is that he's always willing to admit his mistakes. And he uses the word mistake a lot in his letters, actually, especially in this year. He he used it quite a bit, which just really shows to me that he's a humble guy. And uh, he says that studying the company's mistakes with his partner, Munger, is more important than analyzing their successes. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think there's a lot of benefit to analyzing your mistakes. Not many of us want to do that or are prone to do that, though. And while knowing what is working is a helpful thing. Well, I would say figuring out why your endeavor fell short can be even more helpful when it comes to moving forward and, you know, achieving more success in the future. That's right. Yeah. So we're kind of talking about some of these life lessons, I guess. We're kind of veering off course from <laughs> from investing territory, but these are important to, to point out, I yeah. think. I think it just shows that he's more than just a great investor. Like he has other things to sure, teach us yeah. about running a business, about how to live a successful life. And we don't agree with like, or, or we're not trying to, like you said, emulate everything that he's done. But we also think he's got, he's, he's got more to give than, yeah. than just uh, he's more diversified than, index. Funds. Yeah. <laughs> and he's more than just a great numbers nerd. But along the, the line again of uh, life lessons, I think one of the hardest things in personal finance is to not move the goalposts. Specifically, I'm, I'm talking about intentional spending here. Uh, it can be so easy to let lifestyle creep increase, causing us to change our habits uh, and to start spending more than we should. And then we just end up falling into consumeristic behaviors that ultimately undermine our financial progress and they don't really lead to any additional happiness. And it, it sure seems like Warren has been able to avoid that lifestyle creep. He's been able to avoid moving those goalposts, at least from where we're sitting. I know he's, it seems like he still eats McDonald's pretty much like every, every single day. Yeah. Don't think he's the font of healthy living no. in that regard. He's, uh, 
<laughs> he would he would make a really bad TikTok nutrition influencer. Uh, he, he lives in the same house in Omaha that he bought back in 1958. Could he afford something uh, bigger, something something a little more updated, something nicer? Absolutely. That's, that's an understatement to say that he could afford a different house. Um, and granted, I'm sure he's got plenty of houses probably all, all around the world. I know he's got a, a beach house shoving, but I don't know that he has a ton of houses either. I'm not sure. That's a good question. He's, but but f- considering he's the fifth wealthiest person in the entire world, he he could own entire countries. Yeah. <laughs> essentially, it's, a, it's okay if he has a few, ho- if he's got a beach house or if yeah. he's got a mountain house. Um, it seems that he still takes joy in the simple pleasures and that he's able to spend money in the ways that bring him the, the most happiness yeah and not just spending to try to fill a hole to try to make himself happier to try to like get a dopamine rush which is what a lot of uh, obviously a lot of people are 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 chasing right through their consumption is that dopamine hit that's going to give them a feeling for a short period of time but then you got to go back to the well and that creates some of that lifestyle creep it makes it really hard it's and i'm not gonna lie like even as someone who's intentional about this or attempts to be intentional about this it's not easy right to spend intentionally to not move the goalposts uh, i think it is human nature to get more and then want more and so mm-hmm. I'm, I, but i think calling it out that the you know one of the world's richest men has been able to keep this in check just says like hey you don't have to inflate your lifestyle just because you got a raise you don't have to uh, change your desires just because you have more money in the bank and i think warren buffett is a great example of that and and one of the things he said matt he talks about contentedness and he says the big question about how people behave is whether they've got an inner scorecard or an outer scorecard. It helps if you can be satisfied with an inner scorecard. And basically, if anyone could flaunt their wealth but chooses not to because his inner scorecard is maxed out, it's Warren, right? And mm-hmm. he's not trying to impress anyone. Uh, he's he's not wearing fancy suits. He doesn't care about uh, the fanciest new trends in anything. And I don't know. I think that says a lot about him. And I think that's something we can all learn from. That's right. Yeah, I don't know him personally, but it certainly seems like he's a very content gentleman. But we have a few additional lessons that we're going to get to here right after the break, including the ability to focus on the things that matter. We'll get to that, plus a couple of others right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Hey, folks, it's Matt. I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little Health Aid kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorites so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly, probiotic tea that's good for your gut. 
It's blended with real fruit juice and it's super thirst quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon I'll have some. It's super easy and it's affordable too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, we're back. We're still talking Buffett here and kind of talking about some of the lessons that we can learn. Buffett banter. From the investment goat. Like he really, uh, there's just so much I admire about Warren Buffett. But in just a second, we're going to talk about the limitations of what he can teach us. But let's let's hit a few more things, Matt, that we can all learn from one of the greats as we're kind of assessing his life, assessing his investment style. And so I feel like we've already done a lot on the investment front, but let's hit a few more things that we can all learn from one of the greats. And one of those things that that stands out to me is that Warren, he realizes that taxes, they just mean that you've been successful. And you you don't often hear people get excited to pay their taxes. I still haven't filed mine yet this year, and I'm not necessarily (laughs) looking forward to it. But uh, Warren, he said at this year's annual meeting that uh, at Berkshire, which again is a company he owns, we hope and expect to pay much more in taxes during the next decade. Hope and expect. I was like, dude, the fact that you hope to pay more taxes, it, you, again, you never hear anybody talk like that. And I think, but I think that's a really good way of looking at things. And I think it's a, um, a really good way of kind of thinking about the even your tax bill, right? That's due coming up soon next month. And, you know, we live in an incredible country, basically full of opportunity and with great privilege comes great responsibility. What is that? Spider-Man, right? Something yeah. like that? Yeah, right. Peter yeah. Parker. Peter Parker, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, it's it's more than okay, we would say, to use tax-efficient vehicles and to be smart on the tax planning front. We talk about that kind of stuff on the show. We don't want you to pay taxes unnecessarily or to avoid investing in the best accounts because you are choosing to pay more in taxes for some reason than you owe. But it's also good to see that a bigger tax bill it's not the worst thing in the world. And it typically, it means that you're thriving inside of a really fortunate system that does set up a lot of people uh, for success, right? And, and so I think Warren's ability to see that, to recognize that is a good thing. And it's something, it's going to make me feel a little differently about April 18th this year, Matt. 
By the way, I think it's with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, uh, okay. My bad. It could be privilege. I forget, though. No, I, uh, think, I think you're right. No, I think it's it great power. power. Yeah. Uh, but then let's talk about what Warren does with the billions of dollars that he's amassed. Well, we know he's not inflating his lifestyle in a significant way. Uh, instead, he is giving a lot of that money away. He's actually given away more than $48 billion at this point. But he's not planning to stop there. He signed the giving pledge, uh, and that means that he's committed to giving away 99% of his wealth uh, when he dies. He signed that back in 2006. And when he signed it, he said that, were we to use more than 1% on ourselves, neither our happiness nor our well-being would be advanced. This 99% can have a huge impact on the health and welfare of others. And I think that's true. <laughs> well, I mean, when you when you are that wealthy, like, what difference will those additional dollars make in their lives? And he even acknowledged how his gift is a less difficult commitment than most families uh, when, when they are giving their money away. Uh, and so we wanted to touch on this because I, th- I feel like in the past we've sort of crapped on Warren before just about the incredible amounts of wealth that he has accumulated, but he has committed uh, to giving it away. He signed the giving pledge and we are all about giving. And, you know, we think it creates just a more healthy relationship with your money. And we actually have a great article up on the website. It details how it is that you can go about giving, giving away your money and how it's an awesome thing. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes for this episode. Yeah. And we, we talk in that article about how to do it effectively because there are are a lot of scams out there and there are just a lot of charities who aren't using your money in the way that you think they are. And so we want you to do your due diligence before you start giving your money away, but we also want you to give your money away. We think that it creates like a, a healthy detachment from the money that comes into your life. It gives you a proper perspective on money because money can't cure all your ills and there's lots of good that can be done that you can you can actually see with your own eyeballs if you're giving your money away in the here and now. So I love that that not only has Warren pledged to give away the vast majority of his wealth in the future, he's also doing it now. He's putting his money where his mouth is and he's giving away a, a lot of money every single year, which is cool. So um, and th- I think that's something that we can all uh, we sh- aspire to emulate. And on that note, Matt, there's a good quote to end this uh, podcast episode on. And, and Warren says, Basically, when you get to my age, you'll really measure your success in life by how many of the people you want to have love you actually do love you. I know people who have a lot of money and they get testimonial dinners and they get hospital wings named after them. But the truth is that nobody in the world loves them. If you get to my age in life and nobody thinks well of you, I don't care how big your bank account is, your life is a disaster. And man, the guy, again, not just a great investor, although he is, he's the greatest, he's the GOAT. He has life perspective at this point that he's accumulated that he's just sharing with us regularly, I feel like, through his shareholder letter, through interviews that he does. And this is great perspective to have, right? I mean, obviously, what he's been able to achieve in his lifetime is admirable in a lot of ways. But that dedication and singular focus, right, that it takes to amass that kind of wealth, it's, I will say, it's just not something that I'm terribly interested in, Matt. I don't think it's something that you're interested in. We're not looking nope. to accumulate, I think, in our the bio on our website. It says, like, we're not looking to accumulate billions of dollars of wealth. That, that is not a goal that we have. And, you know, more power to you, I guess, if, if that's what you're after. But, um, and, and even if it means having an outsized impact on a grander scale, sorry, 
sorry, like that's just not the thing that I'm going for. But I still think that that this is advice that's important to hear when we're younger, because the trade-offs of a not so great family life or not uh, being active in our community, uh, and you know, they, they might not be worth the additional dollars in the bank account. Like if let's say you take a job that pays $50,000 more a year, but it causes you to be away from your family 20 days out of the month, Maybe it's worth it, and maybe it's worth it for a short period of time, but these are the kind of trade-offs and things we have to think about as people who want to be good with money, but also don't want money to be the end-all, be-all in our lives. That's right. Yeah. And again, this is something that Warren has shared in his later years, and I I think we would all be served to listen to that advice in the here and now, uh, because, yeah, Warren, you know, he didn't have the greatest family life. He his relationship with his first wife, it was, was kind of weird that like they had, they had an open marriage yeah. <laughs> and that's not something I'm, I'm interested in replicating in my, in my own life. But Warren Buffett, he's... Didn't you mention at one point, like when you were reading the autobiography, like, didn't he step over one of his kids who was throwing a tantrum or something I feel like we, to go up to his office? Cause <laughs> yeah, it, that, that, that was what it was like uh, as a father for, for him. I mean, he was singularly focused on business and yeah. on you know, reading up on the balance sheets of different businesses that he was basically looking to scoop up at a deal. So for, if we're talking about one thing, maybe that one of the things that we don't admire about Warren, one of the things that we don't desire is kind of the lack of balance that he had, at least for a bunch exactly. of years. I think he, I saw something recently that he, he plays a lot of bridge now, apparently like eight hours worth of bridge. He's, He's actually, always played a lot of bridge. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So even he, when he was, even when he was younger, it was something he was infatuated with. Yeah. Uh, and, well, I guess it was an infatuation. It's a dedication yeah. <laughs> to, to a game that he loves. Which is great. I'm all about cheap hobbies and stuff like that. But I think that's cool. Uh, but I guess even while he had a hobby, uh, something that he enjoyed doing besides just work, that work for a whole lot of years definitely took away from, yeah, some of the relationships that I, I would imagine if you would ask him in a, in a personal context, he would say he wishes he had dedicated more time and energy into. I, I definitely think so. Yeah. And yeah, we, we don't want to carbon copy and replicate his life. And you know, essentially, there's a zero chance that we could even come close to, <laughs> to his investing prowess. Uh, but there is still a bunch that we can learn. At the end of the day, we want you to be a long term, widely diversified investor, not somebody who's jumping in and out of stocks, who's uh, watching all the latest headlines. That's something that Warren recommended. And Joel, that is how you and I, how we invest our dollars as well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, one last thing I appreciate about Warren is that it seems like he's just always been a, an, an incredible teacher, right? He shares his wisdom. Uh, and I think that's something that you and I seek to do here on the show. We're, yeah. we're seeking to help those who follow how to money, who listen to our show. So yeah. and, and, and hopefully, kudos to a, a guy that we have mad respect for. Who's, completely. who's out there doing the doing the good work. And we love the dude. I think I'd, that's what we're doing. I'd love to meet him someday. I mean, uh, love, <laughs> Warren, you're welcome on the podcast anytime <laughs> if you want to come on. So glad we could kind of talk about our buddy, our pal, Warren Buffett today on the show. That's right, man. Let's mention the beer that you and I enjoyed during this episode. This was a blender and I guess Black Raz. That's the, I'm guessing they make multiple different blenders, but this is the Berliner Weiss that is brewed with blackberries and raspberries. What were your thoughts on this beer, buddy? Oh man, this was delightful. It was light. Where we are, it feels like spring right now already. This and particular day that we are recording, <laughs> yeah. it is quite warm. Yes, and which so this is a perfect beer for it's that. So it's like good. delightful sour, and I love berry sours. I will say, my kids would be disappointed that any berries went into a beer and not directly into their mouths. Like my kids eat so much mo- uh, money's worth of berries this it's time like of year. berry season, man. Like oh my we, gosh. Yeah. Granola with yogurt on it this morning. Topped with all the berries. Yes. They were like all yeah. the, all of them, like <laughs> raspberries, blackberries, strawberries, like they don't discriminate. They want them all. And so, but yeah, I, I, I love some good berries in my beer and this was, I kind of like the, the black ras combo. 
Yeah, it was tart. It was fruity. I feel like it had the right amount of sweetness going on to kind of back the flavor of those berries, uh, but it also had the right amount of wheatness as well. So this is a Berliner Weiss. Wheatness. Which is, uh, I like that. Wheatness. Yeah. Sweetness and wheatness. Uh, Berliner Weiss is a, so a German style wheat. And so oftentimes the flavor that you're left with uh, in your mouth after you swallow and you're kind of sitting there doing the kind of thing. It's like this weedy, weediness. Uh, it reminds me of Captain Crunch, specifically, <laughs> oftentimes with Berliner Weisses. So definitely picked up some of those notes uh, with this one. And I liked it. Uh, so Matthew, thank you for donating yet another fantastic beer here to the show. And again, you, this I, one. I don't know why you just made me think of Katy Perry. Like, but. <laughs> what? <laughs> I drank some Black Raz and I liked it. <laughs> I gotcha. Uh, but yeah, this is a beer by New Park Brewing. And that's going to be it for this episode. We will link to some of the different resources that we had mentioned. And you can find those show notes up on our website at howtomoney.com. But, dude, that's going to be it for this one. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the, the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you.